Hi, welcome to episode 17 of Stop Killing Deals. I'm happy to have Dave Brock join me today to discuss what we can learn from the previous interview with Daniela Ross about mycorrhiza, so that is fungi, fungi and sales. Interesting. Dave is a thought leader who has spent his career developing high-performance organizations. He has worked in sales, marketing, and executive management positions within both large corporations and startups. I consider Dave a friend and a mentor, and you might know his work from our blog where he is a guest blogger. Dave is a fantastic human being and as smart and humble as they come. With that said, let's jump right in. All right, so welcome to Stop Killing Deals, Dave. Hey, George, it's good. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me. Likewise, and we're going to be talking about a very strange topic today: fungi and sales. I haven't heard that connection before too many times. <laughs> so I'm, hope, I'm hoping that you're ready for it. <laughs> well, I, I think you know. Sometimes I think I've been called a fungus or uh, something like that, but uh, uh, I. I think it's going to be, it's, it's something I hadn't thought much about until you started sharing some ideas with me. So I'm, I'm interested to see where this conversation goes. Yeah, me too. Me too. So when I interviewed uh, the expert in the other episode, she shared that the word microhysi, which is sort of the, the cool word that, that caught my attention, <laughs> uh, comes from Greek, mycus being fungus, and uh, Risa meaning root. So it's the way that plants connect, or actually fungi connect to, con connects to plants and they exchange resources with each other. They enter into sort of a win win relationship to use, uh, to use uh, mm -hmm. business speak. Uh, and uh, they both uh, exchange nutrients that, are, that they need, basically. Mm -hmm. She also told me something new that I hadn't uh, realized before uh, when I was researching this and wrote a short article a few years back, and that is that the plant roots actually initiate this relationship by extracting molecules that attracts or attract the hyphae from the spores. Mm -hmm. So it actually tells the soil, so to speak, that uh, we need something. Something is missing, uh, and the uh, the fungi then. Uh, uh, co connects uh, or knocks on the door of the plant roots and say, "Hey, I might, I might be able to help." And mm -hmm. then they, the the uh, the plant determines if this is is a is a friendly hyphen, is it a friendly fungi uh, or not? And if it's a, if it believes that it's friendly, it it allows it to connect to its uh, its roots, and then this interchange can can start. And I, I found that to be very, very interesting from, um, from our perspective. Uh, for, and maybe that's where we start. Like, mm -hmm. So plants and, and fungi do all this underneath the surface. We don't even see this, that this is going on, right, as human beings. Mm -hmm. and, and she also shared that there's a fairly new uh, research field, maybe partly because of that. Uh, process being completely hidden to the human eye. But if we try to sort of uh, zoom out and think about this from a buyer selling perspective, we, we talk about 
buyers and sellers achieving a win-win uh, situation. But what can we learn from this and how can we sort of connect this back to sales? Where do we start, Dave? Well, you know, I one is is I, I'd be careful about over-applying the metaphor. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. you know, you know as, as you started describing this, a couple of questions came to my mind real quickly. Uh, who's the plant and who's the fungi? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one could say, particularly when you look at 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 a lot of kind of the, what we see in the digital buying uh, journey and things like that. One could say the the customer is the fungi um, that is looking for something to uh, a resource that maintains its health, its health and allows it to grow and so on and so forth. So it goes around and find something that's right for it to attach to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, on the other side, we could say that our organizations trying to find and engage customers are the fungi. Likewise, trying to find somebody that we can a- a- attach to and share resources. I think, you know, I think what we see kind of in nature and society, there are a lot of interesting analogies to to sales is kind of the mutual interdependency of this. And I think what we as salespeople have over time lost is that mutual interdependency of of this whole value creation process, not only through their buying process, but through their use process and how we grow that relationship and so on. And so you see all sorts of analogies in nature that that if we started taking them like this one and say what do we learn from this in in terms of how we behave and how we work with our customers much more effectively uh, Mm -hmm. I I think that's kind of an interesting topic yeah and I think maybe that's an interesting reflection there that sometimes the the buyer might be the fungi and sometimes they might be the plant because yeah. if we only think, because in my mind, I had I had it as the plant being the customer or potential customer, and the fungi being the seller or the the provider. But that, that and I, I guess that also pinpoints the challenge in sales. That if if uh, the potential customer is the plant, and they sort of extract chemicals to to say what what nutrients they're missing. That's only a very small part of the population, right? All of your customers will not be posting on LinkedIn saying that they need your services or products, right? right? So then uh, maybe maybe that's a good uh, way to look at the metaphor. Like sometimes you need to be the plant and the customer is, is, is the fun, fungi. That, that's a good takeaway, I think. Another thing that really fascinated me about the uh, this process in nature with with the fungi and the plants is that they these hyphae these these roots connect to the plants are massive. These networks that's called right. my, mycorrhizae networks uh, or mycelial networks are just enormous, right? They they are everywhere in the soil and they connect to all the different plants and and to each other. And uh, they've been described as sort of the internet of of the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Star Trek even uses this in, in Star Trek enterprises, how they how they travel through space uh, in future. So it's kind of a, a an interesting um, phenomena where plants can then th- use this network that the fungi have 
created to actually communicate with other plants. Uh, so a, a tree can can communicate with its offspring to to warn them about uh, an attack by insects, for instance. I thought that was pr pretty fascinating as well. And if we could, maybe we could even look at this from a perspective of, let's say we sign a very large client. Uh, we will then uh, have the opportunity to not only to sell to that department, but by using our connections that we create within that organization and within our or own organization, we can then expand and help more departments and, and expand that account. Or they can communicate with each other and warn each other of attack by salespeople. So <laughs> that's going on all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's the first first uh, thought you got there. I could see it in here. See yeah, you smiling. Yeah. Yeah, but and another thing she said that was interesting. I asked the question if someone uses this network in a negative way, and and she explained that there are some orchids that right. actually extract nutrients, but not sort of putting any value back into that that network and relationship. And I think that's what we've seen happening a lot in the past when salespeople are just pushing products and not focusing enough on value uh, and, and yeah. delivering on that. And, and I, think if, I think if you kind of start looking at that and you say, well, how do you sustain, uh, I, I'm almost hesitant to use this word, but how do you sustain an ecosystem mm -hmm. uh, and keep it healthy and keep it growing? And, and if, if one party in that ecosystem is continually trying to extract without providing any value to the other parties in that ecosystem, whether it's an orchid that extracts and probably, you know, I don't know what it, the mechanism is, but maybe damages the soil around it and so on and so forth. And you wonder what happens to that orchid over time once it's extracted everything, does it die? Um, and, and so you kind of look at that same analogy, as long as we are self-interested, and are looking for what we can get out of it, we may get some kind of short-term success in things like that. You know, the short-term nutrients, which are, are, is currency and revenue. Or, but at some point, uh, we destroy everything around us, and we can no longer sustain that. So, uh, you know, so I, I think you know you might kind of think of things that way. And it would really be interesting to understand what happens to those orchids mm -hmm. over a period of time if they, all they're doing is extracting and not contributing anything. Um, the, the thing you start wondering about is the limitation of this kind of analogy because that assumes that the other party is willing to give something and not get anything in return. And, and I think what we've seen with kind of the way customers have always had the power, but we've been arrogant enough not to think, to think that we have power, but have always had the power is, is we, we can sometimes fool customers to buying something and that's very, very short term, but we can't do that on a sustainable basis. If we aren't creating real value for the customers, if we aren't doing things that are meaningful to them, 
they won't they won't participate in this ecosystem. They'll opt out and go someplace else. Um, and again, I, I think that's what you you see is in nature. You also see the same thing: is is some parasite will come in, whether it's, uh, I don't suspect it's a fungus or anything, but some parasite will come in and destroy things. Um, and and people and 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 they either destroy it for themselves as well, or they destroy it for some part of the population that exists there, and they choose options to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember writing an article on that about a bird uh, who was uh, fetching nectar, uh, <clears throat> but there uh, uh, some of the birds. Um, realized that they could get more nectar if they just uh, chopped off the uh, the entire what's it called uh, I think it's a stamen yeah so they could just chop it off and uh, but then the, the the flower couldn't reproduce and uh, well, yeah that's and, exactly it that yeah. was very short <laughs> short-sighted tactic and uh, yeah. I think we're seeing a yeah. lot of that in sales as well and, and that's I mean you see I mean I think that's the the fodder of all these stories, whether it's it's like the Wolf of Wall Street or, um, 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 you know, any of uh, boiler room or things like that. The, those are the stories of salespeople truly manipulating and taking advantage and creating a win-lose situation. Um, I, I think um, I think it's, um, you know, Thank goodness those don't represent the majority of sales relationships, yeah, um, and and so on. But but again, I think also too there's the implication in this discussion that we are more in control of what happens than we really are. Yeah, and maybe we should get back to that uh, reflection you had in the beginning. I thought that was that was interesting. That if the buyer is the plant and they they. Uh, they need nutrients, they would ask for it, right? Uh, but I think a lot of times in selling, they might not, not know what they need, right? They, they know something is missing to achieve their targets or increase their margin or lower their costs, but they might not know exactly what that is. So they're not asking for anything. Um, and I, I guess that might be the reason why we are all so eager to, to perfect our prospecting efforts in order to get in early and uh, use our skills and knowledge to be able to create value. And I know you've been writing a lot about that lately, about the uh, how buyers buy and how we need to maybe look at selling differently. Uh, but I guess the question then would be how do we how do we determine what needs or what to use the metaphor then uh, what nutrients they might be needing and in which soil should we be be digging to find that out? So I I, I think that's really an interesting question. I think there are a couple of aspects to it that that are, are really profound. Is one is um, I disagree a little bit with the framing of this is I think in most of our prospecting efforts in business development efforts, we get involved relatively late in the customer cycle um, is, and it's because of how we prospect. 
we prospect around, uh, here's my product, are you interested in it? Uh, mm -hmm. The customer has zero interest in the product until they've started searching and learning about something uh, and have, you know, maybe have not determined to buy, but have determined to learn. Mm -hmm. And so if our prospecting efforts are oriented around that, um, it's a customer who's already fairly mature in their learning cycle and perhaps entering a buying cycle. Uh, and, and, you know, the good news, bad news is they're interested in having a conversation. The bad news is something has already shaped their uh, worldview and their interests. Yeah. And unless we understand that, we don't know how to uh, uh, compete ourselves uh, right now. I, I think the thing that's most interesting to me these days is um, is this concept of if you look at at how uh, you know customers with their digital buying journey and so on and so forth is how do you get a customer to search who's not searching? Mm -hmm. How do you incite them to start thinking differently and doing things differently and, and so on and so forth? And that I, I think requires very different skills than uh, and very different approaches than what we're doing in sales right now. Most of what we do in sales is oriented around our solutions uh, and how those solutions create value and help the customer. But the way you get a, a customer to, to start their journey is to incite them to start a journey, incite them to start thinking differently, incite them to start changing, uh, and that kind of thing. And, and what that has to do that has nothing to do with your product. It has to do with a concept, a dream, a different way of approaching things that they haven't thought of before that they all of a sudden are interested in and say, I want to learn more about that. And they'll learn more about that with you and they'll learn more about that by starting to search and find other approaches and other, other things that people have done, which is coming back to the fungus kind of analogy. It's, it's interesting that you, you can look at the fungus invites itself to attach to uh, a, a plant or a tree or something else. And perhaps that tree didn't know that it needed the nutrients that the fungus had. And now all of a sudden in that relationship starts discovering value in it and, and, and that, that works. Uh, isn't that what marketing has been busy trying to do over the past decade with inbound marketing, mar marketing automation, content marketing, thought leadership pieces? See, I think, I, think, I think the problem with that is I think that's what marketing has been trying to do. But I think the problem is that until the customer is, is, is interested it's going to be invisible to them. You know, mm -hmm. imagine, yeah. you know, here in the U.S., I can drive down the, the freeway uh, or in cities, and, and what you see is all sorts of billboards with ads for all sorts of different things. Uh, and I happened to, over the, the weekend, be driving, you know, to run some errands, and I saw some different ads and so on. And all of a sudden, I saw uh, an ad for a certain type of car. 
-huh. And, you know, that it turns out that ad has been there for months and months and months. And I've driven by it however many times and I ever never noticed it. But because the lease of one of my cars is about to end, all of a sudden things about cars are striking my attention. And so, so what, what has happened is I'm unconsciously, I've started my search. So yeah. what the problem with marketing is marketing's doing all this stuff to create visibility, but that visibility, where customers are blind to it until they've decided, hmm, my, my lease is ending up, maybe I ought to think about a new car. Or, you know, there's, there's something that's provoked the customer to change. So in the B2B sense, how do we get, you know, businesses that are driving down the freeway to all of a sudden say, hey, this is something that we ought to be looking at and interested in. And, and I think it's very, very difficult for marketing to do that. Um, in the volumes that we need to do that and, and to do that purposefully. Mm. I think we have to look at different ways we create visibility and awareness uh, of customers and, and incite them to think. And some of it could be, you know, proactively going after an organization, not with a product, but an idea. So I, I remember one of the, the, most interesting sales calls I've ever participated in was um, I was running a partnership with a, a very large software company, and we decided to meet with the top executives of Boeing Aircraft Company. Um, and this was back in the 80s. And, um, and we went in and said, have you ever thought about designing and manufacturing airplanes differently? What if you could do this? And all of a sudden, that gave them an idea that it took years for us to realize. But all of a sudden, it gave them an idea of using computer-based tools, you know, CAD, CAM, and CAE-type mm -hmm. tools and other kinds of tools to completely revolutionize the process. Or a few years ago, we were working with, with a, a bank in Australia, and, and we we engage them in talking to their customers or retail customers, talking to them, having a different conversation with them about their financial needs, helping them think in, in a way that they had never considered before and getting them interested in considering entering a buying journey. Um, and so I think that takes very different skills and very different approaches. It could be done at a trade show, it could be done through uh, papers and things like that. If if you know if I'm you know skimming through a journal or or something online, and I happen to see a title that catches my attention, uh, even though I may not be in a buying journey, I might pause and take a look at it, and it might cause me to think differently. It could be you know getting um, you know customers who are leadership customers talking about what they're doing differently. And, and so a lot of our work is we try and work with, with companies to say, who's your flagship, uh, who's the flagship customer in this segment? Mm -hmm. Who is the customer that everybody looks at 
uh, and says, these people are smart. They won't necessarily copy them, but they'll be interested in what those customers do. And if we can win the interest of that flagship or lighthouse customer, then we can start getting other people, inciting other people to at least have a conversation. So I, I think those are the things that we have to do. And, and what's interesting is 100% of the, the time, those have nothing to do with what we sell. Mm -hmm. They have to do with issues the, the customer is facing and so on. So wandering a little bit further is you ask, well, how do we do that? Well, one is we have to know our ICP, our ideal customer profile. Yeah. And we have to focus viciously on it. And we have to know not only who those people are, uh, what their personality is, both individually and, and corporate-wise, because there's some that will be more amenable to these conversations than not. But um, we have to understand their businesses very deeply. Um, you know, too often we have ICP and it's based around interest in our product. You know, we have to look at the ICP in terms yeah. of what problem are we the best in the world at solving and, and, and how do we catch those yeah. Sorry if I'm overusing the metaphor, but it gets me thinking about one thing <laughs> Danny said in the in the previous episode, where she said that the uh, the plants will not be asking to get nutrients that they can get for themselves. So they will only be asking for help to get the nutrients they cannot easily find themselves. Uh, and I guess what you're saying now, uh, another uh, one way to interpret that using the metaphor would be that what is what is it? How do you phrase what you can do or help or provide in a way that the customer sees it as as different from what they're already uh, doing, right? Because if they see you as just something they already have, a, a vendor number ten providing the same type of service in the same type of way, well, of course they'll say no. Uh, but if you can give some considerable thought into their problems and their situations and, and their issues and their struggles, and you can come to them with a problem to be solved that has value, I guess that could then be seen, oh, this is actually a Newton we need. <laughs> let's talk. Let ha let's have that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, using the, the, the analogy is the nutrient the customer might need might not be our product to solve them. So they have a, right. they've realized we need certain nutrient, nutrients. We we have a problem or, or something we want to achieve. I think you know too often in sales we immediately translate that entering into a problem solving cycle or a change cycle as saying, um, I can sell them something. But mm -hmm. in reality, they may not be entering a buying cycle yet. And in what, if they can find those nutrients without you, they're going to do that. Yeah. Or if they can find nutrients that solve their challenge more easily, more quickly, uh, then they're going to do that. So our job becomes one, again, it is saying, how do we understand their situation well enough to, to one, find the opportunities where the nutrients they need are us mm -hmm. or the alternatives to us. Um, 
how do we make them realize that and, and get them to engage in that and welcome that kind of uh, symbiotic relationship? Yeah, my mind keeps throwing me back to your initial comment. I thought that was very thoughtful <clears throat> to, to look at the this relationship as not being the one where you're always the, the fungi and the customer is the plant, but it can also be the other way around. Maybe that's actually what you want is to uh, not. That's a, classic, that's a classic inbound marketing, inbound sales is, is the plant, the customer becomes the fungus and they recognize that we have a nutrient that they want and they reach mm -hmm. out and, and try and, and, and uh, engage us. That's what everybody wants to achieve. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, the ideal world is that we have enough, we're trees with enough fungus wanting to, to nourish us. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 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 we're trees with enough customers that want to, you know, help us and, and help themselves that, um, that uh, it works out. If we take this to the uh, sort of management level, uh, if we look at why we are struggling today to prospect uh, and to get someone to say, oh, I, I want to have this conversation with you because you might have nutrients that I need. I think that's where, because it's such a crowded space and all the competitors or all the products look the same from the buyer's perspective today, online at least, I mean, you have already answered this in a way by saying that we really need to know our ICP. We really need to know their struggles, their their challenges, their their aspirations on a company level and maybe also on an individual level. But I'm wondering if there is maybe maybe that gets me to the soil. Like, where do we and how do we best connect to a buyer or potential buyer today? Uh, to convey that we have something that they might need. Or is maybe that is not even the problem. Maybe the problem from a managerial perspective is that we lack, we haven't done the groundwork. So I'm, now I'm throwing multiple questions at you. Maybe we haven't done the groundwork well enough on the ICP and the value proposition in order for our high fee, our sellers, to knock on the doors of, of the roots and actually get their attention. I mean, where, from a management perspective, should we be spending our time if we generalize? I'm sure, I mean, I'm, this is different from company to company, but do we suck most at, at, at understanding ICP value props or the actual outreach and the ways of outreach? All of the above, yes, yes, and more. So, so I would challenge you to say, I'm not sure it's a crowded space. I think what happens is we choose to go into a space that's very crowded and very competitive. And that's because we're actually getting involved much later in the customer's buying cycle than we think we are. Is, is the customer has already decided that they want to make a change. They are doing their research digitally or whatever way they're doing it, they're starting to talk to other people and other alternatives, and that becomes crowded because all of us are wanting to be part of the, you know, shortlist. Mm -hmm. And we're competing with each other for this customer that has raised their hand 
and say, I need some nutrients. Mm -hmm. um, and all, but if you look at it, and if you look at a lot of the research, you know, some of the old Gartner and old Forrester research it is, you know, we're getting involved really late in the, the process. And uh, in, in, in that way, a lot of uh, opinions and views have already been shaped. But you look at, at uh, high failure rates in buying is, you know, 53% of buying journeys ended no decision made, not because that was the right decision, but because they just couldn't figure out how to buy. So, so you start going into those uncrowded spaces and you start engaging the customer earlier in the process, or you start going into the clear space where you're inciting the customer to consider doing things differently and to change. And what the research also says is, first person in with those kinds of ideas and those kinds of engagement approaches has a higher probability of winning than people who come in later. Mm -hmm. And so I think the problem that we might have in prospecting is we, because of the way we prospect, because we're focused on short sales cycles or focused on transactionalizing a process. We're focused on getting that order and so on and so forth. We go rushing into crowded rooms mm -hmm. and we don't look other places where it may be easier and faster um, and better for us to go and start finding opportunities. Uh, so I, I, I challenge the idea that this is a crowded space other than of our own creation. Mm. Interesting. So what prevents us then from opening the door to those uncrowded spaces? So I, I think there are a number of things. I think one of it is what leaders do in say, you know, what are we doing this quarter? Are we gonna mm -hmm. hit our, our, what activities are we doing this quarter? I think we as organizations, whether it's marketing, sales, or everybody working together, I think our programs are targeting people much later in their buying cycle. So we're targeting going after crowded space. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of things like business acumen and true problem solving, and things like that, I think that we don't develop enough of those skills uh, so that we can engage the customer earlier on, maybe not incite them to change, but engage them when they're just starting to consider this thing. Mm. Um, and, all, and they're the same customers we go at before, but they're different questions. They're different conversations that we have to, to have. I think uh, we struggle with creating value that's really meaningful to our customers in the in the buying conversations um, because uh, I think we focus way too much on what we sell and not what the customer is trying to achieve. Um, it's interesting, one of my clients has done some really profound work in the area of, of uh, I, I call it specialization is you know they work in a space where their customers have very, very complex problems. 
Um, um, and what they've discovered is that, that they have, my client has developed a number of specialists, not in products. Normally when we look at specialists, we look at product line specialists or solution line specialists. Yeah. But they've deter- developed a whole number of specialists in business problems and how to solve those business problems. And what they've discovered is, and they offer those as specialists as part of the, the, the buying journey and, and working with customers. What they found is customers' willingness to accept that special help um, um, is a high indicator of one, they're likely successful with the project and making a buying decision, and two, making a buying decision for my client. And so they now disqualify customers who aren't willing to accept specialist help mm. because they they say their their experience is is the majority of those will never reach a buying decision mm-hmm. if they do reach a buying decision they'll become the customer from hell because they haven't asked the right business question um, and and so they use this this willingness to accept specialization as um, an indicator of the quality of the project and, and you know, their ability to win has skyrocketed. So they're engaging the customer in very, very different conversations than they had in the past. They, they used to be organized around product line specialization, but now they, they've changed the way they engage that and what mm. specialization looks like. Yeah, that's very and interesting. So I think, you know, I think too much of the time, we're having the wrong conversations at the wrong time. Yeah. But do they, so do they have such high margins and high ticket items that they provide these specialized services for free or do they package it as, as services sold or? It's, it's part of, uh, it's part of the uh, selling process and their engagement process. So what they've done is they've actually diverted resource from product line specialization to business problem specialization. Right. And it's, it's a, a little bit of a change of context because, you know, to, for them to be good product line specialists, they had to understand a little bit about the, the, the problem. You know, so what you do is that you redeploy those resources and get them to focus, you know, really on what is the business issue you're trying to address? Why is that important? How, what are things that you should be looking at? What are the questions you should be asking yourself? Who should be involved? What are the things that you should be looking at? What are the risks and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. And it's all around a business problem and the product is not mentioned until very, very late in the cycle. And it turns out some of those specialists used to be product line specialists so they can carry on through that whole thing. So I, I think, and if you look at it, one, their win rates have, have skyrocketed, two, their average deal size has skyrocketed. They're actually in a fairly low margin business, but their margins uh, have been protected in, in huge ways. And then the, the, the fourth area that they've benefited is that it drives 
a much deeper account relationship and opens them up to more opportunities in the account mm-hmm. uh, with the customer initiating the conversation for them. Yeah, and I'm sure because they're getting more intimate with their customers' problems or business problems, they, they're learning things that uh, has uh, a value for for the product team as well. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But yeah. again, it, I mean, it sounds so simple and so trivial, but we executed a thing fairly poorly. It, they're talking to the customer about what the customer wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, as salespeople, we talk to customers uh, about what they want to talk about. But the problem is, is we've engaged them so late in their buying cycle that what they want to talk about is the product. But they already have biases. They already have, you know, their needs and all that already determined. So they're just saying, you check these boxes. Um, And we're looking at other people that check the boxes, you know. Imagine what would happen if we could get to them a little bit early and earlier and still talk to them about what they want to talk about, but they're different mm-hmm. things. And yeah. we start driving that process. And I guess the perception as the as the potential buyer uh, is also that I'm getting a lot of nutrients throughout this dialogue and this process that I'm not really paying for, but it's it's very valuable to me. Uh, so I'm actually experiencing your company uh, before I'm buying from you uh, in a positive way. So it's also, I think, from a branding perspective, uh, a very wise move. Well, yeah, but, but again, let's go back to the fungus kind of analogy is, is when you establish that deeper relationship where each is getting nutrients they need, those are very, very long-term relationships. Those aren't things that they, you know, say, you know, I, except for the orchid, I've sucked you dry. Uh, <laughs> now I have to die or go someplace else. Um, <laughs> is is um, those become very long, very, very deep, kind of figuratively and literally uh, relationships. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and those are, those are the things that we kind of want. So that's where I think that the, fungus analogy is really quite intriguing is it's not just the relationship that the orchid might have, but it's the relationship some other kind of uh, type of fungus might have with another plant that says, you are a part of my ecosystem. So we now move from a supplier or vendor relationship to, you know, a strategic partner relationship. Yeah. That you know, sounded like a... outside, you know, my office right now, and I see some trees that it's fascinating. They're they're interesting funguses that are all on the trees, and every tree in our area has those. And it turns out those are very very important nutrients to those trees. And you know, some of the trees I have out, out I'm looking at out here are 75 years old. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I'm sure those funguses have been with them for a lot of, of that time. I think that's a beautiful wrap-up of this episode as we're coming to the end <laughs> of time here for this session. So I, I must thank you uh, a lot, uh, Dave. It's been a pleasure talking about fungi and sales. <laughs> I think it's, like you said earlier, we we might not be uh, well-served by over 
overusing the metaphor or the analogy, but it, it was a fun one to explore with you. Yeah. Well, thank, I always enjoy our conversation. So thank you for inviting me. And, and this was when you originally told me about it, I thought, I thought well, geez, this is, this is an interesting one. I don't know how I'll respond to it, but I actually learned a lot from the, the, the scientist that you interviewed and she was quite fascinating. Yeah, she was, she is definitely. So if people want to reach out and learn more uh, about you and maybe engage you, uh, where, where can they best find you? LinkedIn at my blog, partnersinexcellenceblog.com, at Twitter, David A. Brock, uh, any of those sites. Um, and then my email address is all over those. So you can uh, reach me with that. Beautiful. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks, Speak George. Soon. It's always good talking to you. And <laughs> take care. Okay.